Ellen on politics. $1,000 a month would be a game changer for tens of millions of Americans, but it would also lead to two million new jobs because of all the economic activity. Together we'll stand. take a very, you know, a different approach to Mr. Yang. And that is, uh, I believe, in a uh, jobs guarantee. We will stand every boy, girl, woman, and a man. Hello, this is Alan on Politics, and that was Let's Work Together by Canned Heath. Today's topic is a guaranteed basic income. And coming up soon from Monday, September 20th through Sunday, September 26th is the International Basic Income Week in which people try to show their support for and get other people's attention for the concept of a basic income. The culminating point of this week is on Saturday, September 25th, when they hold demonstrations and marches at different locales around the world in support of a basic income. If you want to know the uh, location of the event nearest to you on that Saturday, September 25th, get on the internet and go to basicincomemarch.com. Well, I've been planning to do a program on a guaranteed basic income, and the upcoming International Basic Income Week was one spur to get it done. Another was that a listener made a comment on uh, my YouTube channel challenging whether a basic income was a good idea as compared to having a guaranteed job program. And I've seen that kind of discussion on the internet where people counterpose the idea of a basic income to that of guaranteed jobs to determine which is better. Now for my part, I don't know why they have to be in competition with each other. I think each one could be judged on its own merits and then you could decide individually for each program, whether it's worth doing or not. I ask myself, well, why do people think these have to be in competition? Why are they even be compared to each other? And I think there's three reasons. The first one is that most people have heard about the basic income in the United States through the presidential campaign of Andrew Yang, and Yang presented it as a solution to job loss due to automation. Now, that's not my principal concern in promoting a basic income. I think it would be more obvious to help people who are involuntarily unemployed with the jobs program. I don't know that a guaranteed jobs program is necessary, but certainly a jobs program versus an income program makes more sense for people who want to work but don't have a job or have been thrown out of a job. So let's set that aside. Second, I think because both the idea of a guaranteed basic income and the idea of guaranteed jobs implicate two principles that most people think are important. On the one hand, you want to make sure that people who have the ability to do useful work have the incentive and the opportunity to do useful work. On the other hand, you also want to make sure that people who don't have the ability to work or have a limited ability to work have sufficient income to have a decent standard of life. So those two principles are both important, but each of these proposals, a guaranteed income or a guaranteed job program, impact them in different ways. So I think that's why people confuse them thinking they have to be in competition with each other. 
And the thrust of this program is to look at each of those programs from the standpoint of each of those considerations to determine whether each of them lives up to its promise, whether they're worth doing either one or the other or even both of them. I think the final reason that people uh, put them against each other in competition with each other is the question of affordability. That is, if we could afford to do one program, can we afford to do both, even if they're both a good idea? That's the thing I'm going to tackle in the third segment of this show, actually, is the question of affordability. How much can we afford and um, where the money will come from? But first, in this first section, I'm going to tackle guaranteed basic income and talk about it. Next section, I'm going to talk about guaranteed jobs programs and assess those. And then finally, I'll talk about the question of affordability. So let's start with the guaranteed income program. Now, if we assess it according to the principle that people who have no ability to do useful work or a limited ability to do useful work uh, should still be able to live at a decent standard of living. They should be able to survive and a little bit better than survive, have a decent standard of living in accordance with the level of wealth of a society. Now, of course, guaranteeing an income for everybody at a certain level will fulfill that first principle that nobody is going to have to worry about not being able to survive for lack of income if they can't work. Or you can think some people can do some work, but maybe not enough to support themselves, or maybe they can only work temporarily, but then do not have the uh, the the ability to keep on, that is their energy level flags or their physical ability is less. There's a whole host of people who have conditions like that, uh, chronic fatigue in various forms, including all these people who have been through COVID and now have what they call the long hauler syndrome. One of the effects is which they have, you know, it's hard for them to do work. And if they try to do too much, they'll be very tired. So some people can work to a limited ability, but maybe not enough to support themselves through regular jobs. So they should also have an income. So good on that first principle, right? What's the downside? The only one that people raise is that some people who could work, who could do useful work, may not do useful work under a guaranteed basic income. I think there's three reasons to doubt that there will be very many people who will just simply stop working and want to live on a basic income. First of all, there have been experiments with basic income done, and they do show signs that there's people don't quit their jobs. They usually just work a few less hours in order to spend more time with their children at home or something similar to that. It's not that they're quitting their jobs. It's more like they're spending... They're devoting less time to paid work and more time for things that are important to them, other responsibilities in particular. Uh, these experiments have their limitations. None of them is a permanent guarantee of a lifetime income. So people could be cautious about quitting their jobs, not knowing or knowing that this is only going to last for a limited period of time. And in many cases, the income is not enough to live on so that people would want to keep working to supplement that income anyway. Second consideration, though, is the case of retirees like myself. A lot of times people retire and initially are happy that they're not working, but then they quickly find that they miss work. They miss it because they had a useful role in society. They liked being around other people, doing something useful, um, exercising their particular abilities and knowledge set. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons to like to work 
beyond that, that you need the money from it. And retirees who suddenly find themselves without a job sometimes get depressed because of it and wish they had worked longer, would like to return to work because they don't like not working. Third consideration is that there are people who have sufficient income to live on and time, and they volunteer their time to good causes, whether through their church or through charity programs or to assist in like educating children. There's a variety of ways that people actually do work for free, even though they don't need to work. It's because they really do want to do something useful and help other people. And finally, I think some people don't want to work, not so much because they don't like to work. It's more because of the conditions that they work under. They find they're not treated well on the job. They're not treated with respect or the conditions of work are just too dangerous or difficult. So there's a lot of reasons why people might seem like they don't want to work, but it's that a particular job, maybe the only job they feel they can get or they feel stuck in, is not a very good experience for them. And what they'd really like to do is move over to a better job, a different job. And it could be that a basic income would get them that freedom to do that. Finally, okay, there will be some people who don't want to work and will just use the basic income as a way to uh, avoid work. Now, I think it will include a lot less people than is generally assumed, but yeah, there could still be some people that do that. If that's important enough for us to say that uh, the benefits of a guaranteed income are not good enough, uh, then what is the alternative? Well, the one that we've used and the one that's generally um, accepted as the solution is some kind of social safety net where it's only directed towards helping those who don't have means of their own. That is, they would be in poverty if they didn't have some help and really are not able to work. Now, how do you determine that? I used to work with a church program where I had to try to determine that, and it's not easy at all. It requires a bureaucracy to investigate each client, have them gather documentation, assess that documentation, make sure it's genuine, make sure it's sufficient proof. All that takes time, takes effort, and it takes time and effort on the part of the person who's applying. Now, if they truly are disabled, that's work they have to do to gather all that documentation and to prove they really need the help. That's work, even though they're saying they can't work, that it's difficult for them to work. They have limited mobility. They have a limited, um, phys they have a lot of fatigue. They can't do it. It creates burdens both for the people trying to make the decisions and burdens for the people who are applying for the help. And a lot of times, even with the best of intentions, that bureaucracy is gonna make mistakes, which means that some people who really need help don't get it, then how do they survive? And there are some people who don't need the help and still get the their application approved are going to be sponging off the program anyway. So it doesn't completely eliminate that. Now, some of the other problems with the um, social safety net is that it's time consuming for the applicants. Therefore, the uh, and it also takes a lot of time for the bureaucracy to process that so they can wait for years sometimes to have their application approved. And in the meantime, how do they support themselves? And it the social safety nets have a work disincentive of their own, which is that if you're able to do maybe part-time work or you think you might be able to work for a little while, but you're not sure if you might have a relapse and not, might not be able to work later, you're risking losing your benefits and have to reapply 
again and go through the whole process because your income may go above a certain threshold and disqualify you. And then later, what happens if, if your health deteriorates further or you find you couldn't do the work that you thought you were able to do? You could lose your benefits. So people are afraid to try to work to see how much they can handle. Also, it keeps people in poverty because they aren't able to accept help from family or friends. Any kind of financial help might disqualify you and boot you off the program. So it keeps people in poverty. And finally, the basic income does have a work incentive of its own, which is that because you can't be disqualified on the basis of income, everybody gets the basic income, then anything additional you work for is on top of your basic income. So the work incentive is if you can work, even if it's only part-time, even if it's temporary and you're not sure if you can sustain it, it's still worth working. It's not going to cut you off from the basic income. So in that respect, it's, it's better than a social safety net. What are the pros and cons here? To summarize, first of all, a guaranteed basic income ensures that everybody who has limited ability to work has a decent standard of living. It has less bureaucracy attached. There's less chance of making mistakes that hurt the people who really need it. And it, it doesn't leave people waiting over time to get help when they need it right away. And the basic income does have a work incentive. On the other hand, what's the con? Is that some people will still use the basic income to live on without bothering to do any useful work. How many people are there like that? I don't know. I assume it's a lot fewer than people expect, but there probably are still some people like that. And so the trade-off is, are you going to let a few people like that get by without working when they could be doing something useful, as opposed to all the benefits of a basic income, particularly for the people who are most in need? Uh, there's also other benefits to a basic income for people who are not in need. Raises the income of people who are working, especially the people who are very poor. Uh, allows people to pay down debt and et cetera, et cetera. So I wouldn't base it just on the one standard of helping the people who are most in need. It has a number of other benefits, but I want to focus right now just on that. So next topic up is how would a guaranteed job program perform? If there is any work for me, and when I go back to the house, I hear that woman's mouth preaching and you're crying. Tell me that I'm lying about a job. And that was a little bit of Get a Job as performed by the house brand band. Let's turn now to the idea of a guaranteed jobs program. First, I'd like to say that the government already has a number of tools to help stimulate the creation of jobs if we're willing to fund them. For example, they can use monetary policy that is the Federal Reserve and Banking System, to stimulate more investment by businesses, which means they would hire more people, or to stimulate demand by consumers, which means that that would also stimulate more business investment and hiring. Or they can contract with private businesses to do work that wouldn't be done without the government funding it, using contracts, loans, subsidies of various kinds, to induce firms to hire people and do that work. Or they can hire people directly to work for the government, like hiring more teachers or firefighters, etc. And then finally, as we saw during the pandemic, they can send checks 
to consumers to stimulate more demand and get businesses uh, more business and therefore they will hire more people. So in there, I want you to keep in mind the idea of a guaranteed basic income that could stimulate demand as well. There's different ways that the government has to stimulate job creation. Now, what does a guarantee of a job for everybody who wants one add to this? Well, there would be a residual of people who are still unable to find a job even though they want one. Presumably, this is aimed at them to make sure they can find a job. Now, are there any side effects uh, that are attached to a job guarantee? Well, I think there are, and the three big ones that uh, are worth mentioning right today are, number one, how do you set pay levels? If you set them too low compared to the private market, then in effect, the government is making people work for poverty wages. But if you set them a little too high, compared to the private sector, then people will be induced to move out of the private sector and take government jobs, which means the government is expanding, creating additional costs for taxpayers. Another problem is that of matching the, the workers who still want work with the jobs that the government creates. And assume these are not just make work jobs, they're jobs for people to do something useful. Now, are they going to be able to find willing workers with the right abilities and skills and uh, education level to be able to do the, the jobs that they're creating? And are those people living in the right locations for the job? The work has to be done here. The people are living in a different part of the country. Are they willing to move? By guaranteeing a job, you're guaranteeing that they can you, you can match people up with jobs that they're able and to do that make some economic sense. And then finally, if you're guaranteeing a job, does that mean you can't fire people? What about people that want a job but don't really want to do the work? Shirkers, are you going to guarantee them a job? What about people that can't get along with their coworkers because of personality problems? Are you going to guarantee them a job as well, even though they might uh, help destroy the morale of the work organization and require a lot of supervision attention? There's various negative side effects associated with guaranteeing jobs. Why is it that important? Or put it this way, is there an alternative to guaranteeing jobs? I think there are. There's ways to help those people, the residual of people that are having trouble finding jobs and want to work, help them to find jobs. That would be that the government would fund, first of all, training and education programs to help prepare people for the jobs that are available. Number two, job placement services that help match people to jobs that fit their particular abilities and skills and education level. And number three would be funding relocation services so that people have an easier time moving to where jobs are. We have a number of types of government programs that can do those things. It's just a matter of being willing to fund them. So with all that in mind, my position is that it's good for the government to try to stimulate jobs for, so that as many people who want jobs as possible can find a job that matches their abilities. And it's good to fund services that help prepare people for jobs. But guaranteeing jobs is not strictly necessary and is probably not worth it given the various negative side effects that will come with it. Money.
Money Changes Everything by Billy the Kid. Let me sum up my thoughts now about a guaranteed basic income and guaranteed job programs. First, I say that a guaranteed basic income is the best way to ensure that those who are not able to work or who have a limited ability to work can survive at a decent standard of living, avoid poverty, and even work to whatever limited, ex limited extent they are able. Now, it also has the additional large benefit of raising the living standards of the majority of workers across the board. The downside is that there will be some people who live off a of basic income and avoid working at all. I think there will be many fewer of such people than most people assume especially given that a basic income has a work incentive, which is that if you work, that money is on top of your basic income and your basic income is not reduced. So you're always better off working if you're able to work. On a guaranteed jobs program, I do support jobs programs, not necessarily a guarantee, get to that in a minute, but I support job programs using the tools that government currently has available, especially when they target the creation of jobs in areas that are socially essential and socially beneficial. And I'm thinking particularly of cleaning up the environment and building green energy systems so that we can mitigate climate change to the extent that we're still able. That's essential to the survival of the human race, and it should be prioritized through whatever government actions are necessary to get resources in that direction. I also favor programs that help train and educate and place workers into the jobs that are socially necessary and beneficial. But is a guarantee of a job essential, especially given the downsides of guaranteed jobs that I presented? I don't think so, especially given that if we do have a guaranteed basic income, the residual of people who aren't able to find a job, even with the creation of new jobs programs, those residuals will still be able to live off the basic income until they find a way to resolve whatever it is that keeps them from finding jobs and moving up the job ladder. Okay, so the question then is, if you have a guaranteed basic income program and expanded job programs, how are you going to pay for it? And isn't expending all this money going to be inflationary? Well, let's start with inflation first. Inflation is when there's insufficient resources, human and material resources, to meet effective demand. Now, effective demand means that people have money to spend on the things that they need and want. And I don't think this is a case of not having sufficient resources. I think it's a case in our society that we maldistribute resources to the wrong needs. Right now, with the vast gap between the very, very wealthy and most of the rest of us, Resources are being utilized in order to fulfill the needs 
of billionaires or the wants of billionaires, I should say. For example, we could use money now devoted to creating spaceships to give joy rides to billionaires towards helping people that are disabled and not able to work or people that don't have jobs and that when there's socially beneficial work that still needs to be done. So it's a shifting of resources, not necessarily adding to greater demand for those resources. With that in mind, how do you pay for these programs? First of all, through taxation. And here I would go back to a previous program where I said that private property cannot be justified unless there is some kind of provision that everybody's right to have access to enough of the natural goods of the world to survive is fulfilled by something like a basic income. So the very wealthy should be the ones that bear the heaviest burden of taxation in order to fund these programs, particularly a basic income. I think we should have a wealth tax. I think uh, we should reverse the tax decreases that happened under the Trump, Bush, and Reagan administration and clean up the tax code so it falls more on the very wealthy and less on the rest of the taxpayers in order to pay for basic incomes and job programs. There's also government spending that could be shifted from some areas to other areas, again, not requiring more resources, just redirecting the resources we have to different uses. There's a lot of places where people could point and say, well, this is a wasteful government program or not as important as the ones that we could be doing. And my largest candidate, my largest target would be simply all the money we spent on these feudal wars abroad and this oversized military who has a extremely large carbon footprint contributing to climate change. So let's shift some spending from those areas to the areas that I'm mentioning in this program, that I'm recommending in this program. And finally, the banking system is constantly creating new money for the purpose of stimulating the economy and facilitating the needs of business and consumers. Now, what about shifting some of that money from the way the, way the banking system is currently targeting that money through the business sector and may, giving people who already have wealth the ability to get loans, low-cost loans, shifting that towards meeting needs? as through a basic income. Now that may sound inflationary, but I have a very intriguing uh, recommendation of a book. I saw a speech from Italian economist Marco Dondi drawn from his new book, Outgrowing Capitalism, Rethinking Money to Reshape Society and Pursue Purpose, in which he writes about using the banking system's money creation power to fund a guaranteed basic income. Uh, that book is going to be released this November. I have a copy on order and am excited about reading it and hope maybe I can get Dondi on this show for an interview to talk about his ideas. So that's it. That's how I would uh, find the money to spend on these programs and why I don't think it would be inflationary. Of course, there's a lot of detail that could be added, but that's for another time and another place in the future. If you've gotten anything out of this show, please like, share, spread the word about it, and I would very much appreciate that. Also, leave your comments on the Allen on Politics YouTube channel or the Allen on Politics Facebook page. Thanks again for listening, and please come back and listen again.